The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped, but Paul with a loud voice said, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for light and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them up and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent, have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have been as publicly uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Let's pray. Um, God, thank you for this passage. Um, may we just be reminded of all that you've done for us. Um, may we just believe in the Lord Jesus today. And I pray for Randall as he comes up. Uh, may you give him the encouragement he needs to share the good news today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jindarm. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall, and I'm pastor of Grace City. Uh, I loved it this morning just hearing little man up in the front, seeing his dad in the back uh, playing uh, guitar and giving him a shout out. That was so cool. He's like, dad, dad, I love that. Um, you know, one of the things about serving is that it's not just about um, us personally, you know, like going and serving, but it's, it's other generations of, of our kids seeing us serving Jesus. And, and so uh, just thank you to all the volunteers who help out and make this possible. Um, so if you're just joining us, we've been in the book of Acts, and we've been journeying through this book throughout the year. And today we're in Acts 16, and we're finishing out this chapter here. And today we're, we're, we're looking at the, the, the life of the Philippian jailer, right? We've, we've been working through seeing how God uh, breaks down the, the walls uh, of people's hearts, and, and today we see that he does that in the life of the Philippian jailer. And so our message today is experiencing real joy. Experiencing real joy. That word joy, how much do you have in your life? Uh, one of the popular shows that's out right now is a show on Apple TV. It's, it's called Ted Lasso. And this show is about um, a man who was an American football coach and is 
recruited to come over and be a uh, soccer coach in England. And the funny thing is, is that he knows nothing about soccer. And the thing that, that makes him stick out is this joyful spirit. He has this, this happy-go-lucky spirit in a very crass and unforgiving uh, culture in uh, British soccer, right? They take soccer very seriously. There, there it's football. It, but he knows nothing about it. And one of the things he says is, uh, you know the happiest animal on earth? He, he says, you, you know what the happiest animal on earth is? He says, it's a goldfish. You know why? It's got a 10-second memory. Now, now, I don't know if that's true or not, but when we think about uh, joy, sometimes we think about it like that, right? We think that joy is just this, this thing that it's what we, we don't really remember the past. We just kind of forget about it. And we just kind of move on. And we're just happy-go-lucky types of people. And when we look at someone like Ted Lasso, we watch this show, it's drawing so many people in. I see all these different reviews and people really enjoying it. But, but the thing is, when we look at his life, it wasn't perfect, in the show, but the reality is it's, it's a show. It's not real, but we want joy. We want it. It's a desire for many of us, and today when we look at the life of the Philippian jailer, the most surprising thing to me out of the text as I was studying this week was this, that it describes him as someone that was filled with joy. Do you see it there? Acts 16, 34, it says, he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Joy. There are many New Testament uh, words in the Greek that, that's used for joy, but, but this one in particular, it literally means that he was going to jump for joy. That's where he was. And so what is Christian joy? And how does a hardened Roman soldier who hours earlier was okay with seeing Paul and Silas beaten and thrown into prison, bloodied and bruised, but now it describes him as someone who was jumping for joy? Well, what we've seen in Acts 16 is that the gospel the message of Jesus, the good news, is, is culturally groundbreaking in many ways because it's for all people. What we've seen here is that it was for the seeker, the, 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 the person who was the good person, right? We've seen uh, for the hurting. And now we see that the gospel's for the hardened. It's the good news that God graciously meets people right where they are. And in this chapter, the, the author Luke gives three case studies of, of how God breaks down social barriers and meets people with this good news. We first looked at Lydia. You remember Lydia? She was a successful uh, businesswoman, and she was a seeker of God. And what we find is she knew a lot about the Old Testament, but as the Apostle Paul started to speak and, and share with her about Jesus, it, it opened everything up to her, and it says that the Lord opened her heart. There was this rational discourse, and God, through the Apostle Paul, she heard about Jesus and was attracted to Jesus. Said the Lord opened her heart. Last week, we looked at a young girl who was abused and enslaved in a system where it felt like she could never break free. 
But she has this power encounter with Jesus where the power of Jesus is greater than her present and her past and the darkness that held her in its grip. And this week we're looking at the jailer. He's a Roman jailer. He's, he's surrounded by a, a, a pagan culture. He has no background in the Hebrew scriptures. He knows nothing about it. But we see that he sees real believers and he's shown what the good news is. He's not just told about it, but he's shown through their life what the gospel message is. God meets people in different places, wherever they're at. And so today, whether you walk in here and, and you feel like you've been seeking God and, and wondering who he is, or, or maybe you've been hurting, or maybe you've been hardened because of past experiences, I just want you to know that the power of the gospel is enough for you today. John Stott once said, racially, socially, and psychologically, they were worlds apart, talking about these three. And yet, all three were changed by the same gospel. And they were welcomed into the same church. You see the beauty of what's happening here? As God sends Paul and Silas, and we see that Luke was there as well, is that there was a church that was starting to form. A church plant team has already started to assemble and there was a church that's being formed here the same church that we read about in the book of philippians and so as you read through the book of philippians you're learning some of the people that were a part of that early church the fact that in the same room the jailer can look across the room and see that young girl and that young girl could lock eyes with lydia and know that she was meeting right here in her home in a place that she would have never been if it wasn't for Jesus. And so today, what did the jailer experience that brought him this newfound joy in Christ? Well, it was seeing three things. It was seeing, number one, singing suffers. Number two, shaken foundations. And number three, surprising grace. Singing suffers, shaken foundations, and surprising grace. So the first one is singing suffers. Look at verses 22 through 25. The crowd joined in attacking them. So Paul and Silas are being attacked here. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they drew them into prison, or they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Well, what's happening here? Well, first we see that Paul and Silas experienced unjust treatment. Right, there was, there was a, 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 an outcry that happens because there was uh, the, this little girl who was enslaved and, and now these people who are enslaving her go to the magistrates and they start to, to tell about how uh, Paul and Silas had come and they're wrecking the society. They're, they're causing an upheaval here. Things are out of order and, and you need to take care of it. And so instead of asking what happens, they start to, the crowd starts to attack Paul and Silas. They're wrongfully convicted, they're physically beaten, and they're thrown into prison, and their feet were placed in stocks. 
to give a little bit of, of a context here and some layers to it, one commentator says that, that they were placed in these wooden stocks which were uh, likely fastened to the wall. Often such stocks were used as instruments of torture. They had a number of holes for the legs and, and th- which allowed for severe stretching of the torso and thus created excruciating pain. So if we're painting the picture of what's happening to Paul and Silas here, they're in excruciating pain. They've just been beaten. They're coming in bloody, bruised. They're being thrown into prison, and they're put into these stocks. And so that's what's happening here for them. But out of that place, we see what would be considered an uncommon response. Right? They're not crying out, saying how wrong they were, but instead it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Praying and singing hymns to God. Now, many of us have heard this before. Maybe we've read through the book of Acts. This has stuck out to us. We've been told about it. Paul and Silas praying and singing as they're thrown into prison. But, but what is this? This is an acknowledgement of God's presence despite their circumstances, right? These are, these are really difficult circumstances that they're in right now, but we see that God's presence is with them. It's also important to note that this is not a, um, a repression of hardships or circumstances, right? This isn't Paul and Silas saying, hey, we're, we're not, uh, we're, we're, we're we're, uh, we're not suffering or going through these things, right? It's like, no, they, they're in the midst of it, experiencing it, yet choosing to trust God and find joy in their circumstances. That's what's so surprising about all of this. There's a book that came out called Just Mercy. Uh, it was written by a man named Brian Stevenson. It's about his experiences um, as a lawyer uh, he graduated from Harvard, uh, and Stevenson moved to Alabama to defend uh, those wrongly condemned uh, in prison or those afforded, uh, that weren't, were not afforded proper representation. And in the book, he talks about his experiences um, with the, the court systems there. There was a movie that came out in 2009 called Just Mercy. And for him, the, there was a moment that happened to him that, that changed his life, that, that really revolutionized his life. Um, it was when he met, in 1983, a man named Henry. At the time, Stevenson was a law student, and he was doing an internship. And one of his tasks was to tell a man on death row that he would not be executed in the next year. He was scared to go, Um, But then he sat down and and met with Henry and they started to talk about their church experience, that they were both around the same age, that this man that was in prison, Henry, actually had a wife and kids. And it was kind of this this jarring experience for, for Brian Stevenson because as he met Henry and Henry started to put him at ease, they found that their talk lasted about three hours and then the guard came in had forgotten that they were talking, came in and started to beat his friend, uh, Henry. And as Henry was being let out, uh, Stephen said, said this. He says that Henry sang slowly with great sincerity and conviction, Lord, lift me up. 
let me stand by faith on heaven's tableland. O higher plain that I have found, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I sat down, Stevenson said, completely stunned. Henry's voice was filled with desire. I experienced his song as a precious gift. He said that this moment changed his life. It was seeing the faith of this man that was behind bars. 2 Corinthians 6.10 says this, we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful. Right, the Apostle Paul writes this. He's saying, you know what, there are moments that you are sorrowful, that you will go through difficulties and challenges and hardships, and it hurts. He says, but yet always rejoicing, always rejoicing. How is that possible? The Bible Project gives a, a good description of what joy is, Christian joy. He says this, is Christian joy is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. The joy is not found in the circumstances. It's found in Christ. And what they're experiencing here is they're experiencing these singing sufferers who are looking not at their circumstances, not at their difficulties, but they're looking at Jesus. This was different. Verse 25, at the end, it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners were listening to them. See, it wasn't a, a mystery of how Paul and Silas got in there because they saw them get thrown in. They saw them, you know, like being put into these stocks here, but yet they can hear them not screaming, but singing. It's a strength that's not in you or me, friends. It's a strength that's greater than themselves and greater than us. Next, we see shaken foundations. Look at verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, why is this event important for us to understand? Well, within Greek culture, earthquakes were considered manifestations of God. And this earthquake was a sign that God was with Paul and Silas. See, God hears their prayers. They are praying to God. Now, these earthquakes, we can see it all through the books of, book of Acts, are, are signs of God's presence throughout and, and is a reminder of God's authority over heaven, earth, and any human authority. See, God is in charge. And, and the earthquake was where heaven meets earth. In this moment, God's power and glory are more tangible than the powers that put Paul and Silas in prison. You see, for the, the message of the gospel, for them to, to, to know and see that it was true, this was a sign that God sends specifically for them. You see, it wasn't just an earthquake, but the interesting thing that shows that, again, this wasn't just some earthquake that happens, is that everyone's bonds were unfastened. All the chains fell off. Another commentator, Daryl Box, says, God is the primary agent in these events 
The special providence is at work as these chains come loose. Wasn't just an earthquake, but the shaken foundations were signs that God was there, that God is present. And lastly, we see that there's a surprising grace. Look at verses 27 through 34. When the jailer woke and saw that the, the prison doors were open, he threw his sword or drew his sword and, and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear, fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their, their wounds. He was baptized at once, he and his, all, all his family, then he brought them up into his house and set before, uh, uh, food before them. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So we see where this joy comes in. It's because there's a surprising grace. Like how did this grace come about? What we say when we say grace, it's this. It was this undeserved mercy, kindness that comes into our life when we don't deserve it. How do, how do we understand this? Well, we have to understand for this jailer, this, this whole event that's happening, the, the, the bonds coming loose, the jail doors being open, all of those things, this was the end for him. It was the end. Verse 27 says he was about to kill himself. Why? Well, there was a law that the prison guard would die if a prisoner escaped. It was, it was the law. So in his mind, he says, well, I guess it's better for me to do it than for them to have to come in and find out. And, and really, in an honor and shame culture, that's what comes forth. It was, he said, I, I don't, I don't want to be put in this position of being shamed as a soldier, we don't know how long he served, but one of the, the things that they would do is they, they would take these old uh, grizzled soldiers and they would place them as jailers. And so now he was in this position. He knew what the law was and there was no grace for him. It was an eye for an eye. That was his worldview. That was his life. December 8th, 1941, my uncle David Akui, he was in the army walking the beaches of Waimanalo in Hawaii. It was the day after Pearl Harbor. And as he was walking the beaches there, he saw a Japanese soldier washed up on the shore. This soldier was about to kill himself. My uncle came up, punched him in the face, knocks him out. True story. And captures him and, and, and they put him in prison. Uh, years later, the, uh, this, this man, Kazuo Sakamaki, 
uh, shared his story. Here's what he said. He says, um, he asked the American soldiers to let him commit suicide. Uh, when that was denied, he requested they kill him. Here's what he says. He says, my honor as a soldier has fallen to the ground. Thus, I betrayed the expectations of our 100 million people and became a sad prisoner of war, disloyal to my country. Do you see what's at work here? There was this honor and shame type of thing where he felt like the weight of the world was on his shoulders. And if you can picture this guard about to take his own life, he's feeling this guilt and this shame come upon him because he had failed in his job. And at that point, we see this hope. Verses 28 through 29. Uh, but Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He heard these men singing. He heard these men praying. He experienced the earthquake. He thought his life was over. He was done. But then, in that moment, this voice of hope comes in. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. It was from this moment of deep darkness to light. What is this? This is grace. This is kindness coming in at the moment when you thought you deserved it the least. It comes into his life. Timothy Keller says about this verse, he says, here's a brutal man. Here's a Roman soldier. And all he's ever seen is you repay evil for evil, force for force, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And here's a group of men here, Paul and Silas, who seem to be unflappable. They're poised. There's a joy in the midst of the darkness. And they're willing to sacrifice their freedom just to save my skin? Friends, this is what the soldier needed. He needed to see people that actually believed what they said. And in that place, he finds new life. Look at verses 32 through 34. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. See, here's the thing. He hears the word of the Lord. What was this about? It was about Jesus. And can you imagine being in that same room, hearing what they were sharing with this jailer, this hardened jailer who's saying, I, I want to be saved. I want to know this God that you're talking about here. And for them to say, there was one God who came, who suffered, who died for you. No longer do you have to live in this prison any longer, but you can be free. And in that place, he finds joy. And, and there's this life change that starts to happen for him. Right, this hardened man, now softened to the gospel, 
Do you see later what it says? It says, uh, verse 33, that he took them the same hour of night and washed their wounds. Previously, he was callous to their wounds. He, he didn't care about their wounds. But now he's transformed. He's changed. God has moved in his heart and he's, he's binding up their wounds. He's, he's washing their wounds. And it says he was baptized at once, baptized by the same people who were bloodied and beaten before. It says he and all his family. Tony Morita says, no longer does the jailer view the wounded men as prisoners. He cares for them as brothers in Christ. He cares for them as brothers in Christ. See, they shared the power of God in his life, and there's a transformation that happens in him, and now he is, is, is living out this, this new life, the power of a new life. You know, that story about my Uncle David and the first prisoner of war, uh, it, it ended as years later, my uncle was contacted by the, the man that he imprisoned. And he says, I want to meet with you and I want to thank you. That day when you stopped me from taking my own life, I want to thank you for that because he ended up becoming like, like a a high-level uh, person in Toyota and had a family and, and, and lived life. Uh, and, and it was like he said, I had this, this, this new life. And I want to thank you. And, and years later, they became friends. Right? No longer were they enemies. No longer were they at war, but they became friends. It's an incredible story. And I want you to know that the power of the gospel, when you understand that there's new life in Jesus, that Jesus isn't just like in this life, but the life to come, like that, 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 that connectedness and that, that, that family is so much stronger than even the friendships that we can have. And so just some takeaways today. How can we live with, with real joy, joy that comes from God? Matt Smethurst, I like this. He says, um, according to the Bible, joy is not an accessory to the Christian life, a perk for shiny saints who can turn their frowns upside down. Rather, joy is tenacious. It fights. It grips the promises of God and won't let it go. Joy is not a mere good mood. It is a ballast in our boats, an anchor in our storms, an immovable rock to stand on when the waves of life threaten to flatten us. Have you ever felt like the waves of life had just threatened to flatten you? Friends, what we hold on to are the promises of what God's given us. And so I want to encourage you with some of these promises. The first one is this, that God's joy can overcome adversity. God's joy can overcome adversity. Sometimes we think our adversity is stronger than our, the joy that God offers. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, do not be grieved. Basically saying don't give up. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so if you're, you're feeling like, man, I, I want to give up. I don't know how to move forward in life. I don't know what, where, this, where this all ends up. I just want to encourage you with this, that God's joy can overcome that adversity. And it's not some fake thing where you've got to repress the feelings and act like things aren't, aren't there. But you can seek that and ask God for that help and 
Paul and Silas help us to understand where we can go to find that. Praying, singing songs of worship that are reminding us of who God is. Right, and so as you take that grip and say, okay, I'm gonna push forward, I'm gonna push a little bit further into this, just know that it's gonna be through praying and seeking God and, and singing those songs, even when it's hard to sing those songs, right? Even when it's hard to believe those songs, to keep pressing in and finding joy in God. Another encouragement I wanna give you as a takeaway today is this, that God's joy comes each morning. God's joy comes each morning. Right, you might have had a terrible day the day before. One of the things that my wife would do when we first got married, and then even when, as we have kids now, is she would walk into the room and say, this is the Lord that, or this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, right? So it's like this, and I remember like waking up, it's like jarring to me. What, what is going on here? A little too much energy right now, this early in the morning. But you know what? It started to rub off on me, and I started to go in my kid's room and start to sing those songs, and it helps. It helps to know. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Right? Again, not, not pushing away the realities that there's weeping at times in our lives and there's difficulties that happen, but knowing that, that we can rejoice. Rejoice in God. Wake up in God. Knowing that there's a fresh start to the morning. And lastly, God's joy overflows to others. It overflows to others. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, some of these things at times might seem very distant to us. But these are prayers. This is a prayer that the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans 15, he's saying, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the interesting thing about this that really I think uh, we, can, we can kind of just wash over is that there's, there's a family that comes to know the Lord through this, not just the jailer. Right, the jailer had probably been a very hardened person over the years, but we find that, 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 that the family, the whole household comes to know God. But, like, but what, what is that, that that happens here? You know, one of the things about my grandfather was that we had a really hard relationship. He was more of a hardened type of guy. Tough, tough guy. Really tough on us, really tough on the family. Um, and growing up, I remember thinking, man, I don't know how he could ever change. I don't know how he could ever change. He's just a really hardened guy. And I remember a couple years ago, we're doing the funeral for my grandfather and my uncle Joe, who's like the most joyful guy, 
Literally, like the most joyful guy, like pray, like he'll start praising in the middle of the Pizza Hut parking lot. He started doing, he's just like talking about God, praying, like just loves the Lord. He gets up at my grandfather's funeral and he said, the Holy Spirit one night put it on my heart. I need to go talk to grandpa. And he said, I went in there and, I, and I'd been praying for him and I'd been sharing with him the gospel. And he said, that night is when Seishiroma accepted Jesus Christ. You know, and he was, like, he was a guy, like I told you, like I, I never thought, he was so hard in, so hard. And he said that night we prayed and he was, he was received into the kingdom of God. But it was like the joy of the Lord. And, 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 and what I want to say is that, that, that his family saw him change in, in, in a way that, that, that helped them to believe that it could be possible and true. And so if there's somebody that you say, man, I, I, I don't know if they could ever meet God. They're just too hard and they just don't. It's possible. It's possible. God does that. He moves in hearts, the hearts of people that you would have never thought possible because you know why? He's moving in your heart and my heart. Ultimately, when we see our salvation and knowing God as a miracle, we can start to understand that God can do that in any life because I've seen the depths of how far I've gone and the distance that I've drawn between myself and God because of my sin. Yet God pursued me by his grace. See, I want to encourage you with the gospel today and wrap this up. In Hebrews 12, 2, it talks about Jesus. It says that uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hear me today. The joy of God was to face our worst, was to take upon him our sins. God... Jesus, right, in the flesh, looked at the cross and said, that brings me joy because I'll be able to be with you. You'll be my, my children, right, the, the sons and daughters of God. What we would consider the worst moment as we see Jesus going to the cross for our sins becomes our greatest moment and brings us the most joy. What is joy? What is Christian joy? It's knowing Jesus. It's knowing him. And that when he becomes your joy, because what, what does it say? That he rejoiced with all his household that he had believed in God. When God becomes your joy, you and I will be able to face anything. We'll be able to face any circumstance because we'll know that he's with us and he's our joy. Let's pray.
Jesus, I pray that we will be a people who look upon you, the message of the cross, the grace that you've offered us, and find great joy because you've called us to live a new life. And what that means is that if you can save us, if you can work in our lives, you can save anybody. Help us to have that posture and that attitude, Lord, that humble attitude to know that your power is enough, your grace is sufficient, and your cross is a joy because in that place we find our joy in knowing you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.